Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I am joined by our science editor, Andrew Turley, emerging markets reporter, Ginger Harvey, and editorial director, Geraint Roberts. Today's episode will include a look at the latest steps towards creating a national inventory for industrial chemicals in Colombia, which have seen the government scale back certain provisions in response to concerns from the country's chemicals industry. We'll also be examining the concerns of the UK's chemical industry trade bodies, but the UK-EU trade deal announced by the negotiators on the 24th of December could leave their members facing a 1 billion bill for registering substances under the UK REACH regime and offers the prospect of the UK increasingly diverging from EU chemical safety standards. But first, let's turn to the EU's flagship biomonitoring project, HBM4EU, which has published in a peer-reviewed journal its first guidance values for one of the substances defined as a priority under the project, which is cadmium. The project, which is scheduled to run to 2021 under the EU's Horizon 2020 Research Framework Programme, aims to provide a pan-European platform for human biomonitoring that can provide robust exposure data. Generally, there is much less experimental exposure data available for chemical risk assessment compared with experimental hazard data meaning risk assessors rely heavily on modelling to fill exposure gaps. The project has nine substance groups in its priority list, including hexavalent chromium and cadmium, bisphenols and flame retardants. The guidance values provide a link between exposure in the form of internal dose and health effects enabling risk assessors to quickly and simply screen biomonitoring data. So Andrew, first of all, can you tell us more about the details of the guidance values that have been published? Who has published them and what are their recommendations? Hi Kate, the project organisers are calling these values HBMGVs. That name is only significant insofar as it should clearly distinguish uh, these values from other reference limits or doses. Crucially, HBMGVs have no formal regulatory status, unlike, say, DNLs. Those are uh, derived no-effect levels or, or PNEX, predicted no-effect concentrations, which are directly linked to REACH, plus um, occupational exposure limits, OELs, which are linked to the carcinogens and mutagens directive. It's conceivable that at some point we will see these biomonitoring limit values written into legislation somehow, but as far as I'm aware, there are no current plans for that. In the meantime, these values will enable investigators to, as you say, 
easily make use of biomonitoring data in decision contexts based on risk rather than exposure. The team recommended three values based on uh, biomarkers in blood and urine and for the general population and for workers. Importantly, all the values were based on adverse effects on the kidneys, but we know that cadmium metal is recognized by authorities as hazardous in relation to a range of endpoints, including cancer. Unfortunately, the scientists were unable to use cancer as the critical endpoint for deriving values because of a lack of studies linking internal exposures to effects. And therefore, they say in their paper that the recommended values should be used with caution. Thanks, Andrew. Now, we reported last autumn that a, a number of key figures have warned that biomonitoring data must not become a prerequisite for regulatory measures as its availability increases. So why is that? Uh, the project, HBM4EU, is going to produce a lot of data and there are different ways in which that data might be used. Biomonitoring can fill data gaps on the exposure side of the risk equation. Also, it provides data on aggregate exposures, meaning exposures from all routes, and that gives a more realistic picture of the risks posed by chemical substances. We know that the same individual may be exposed to a single substance via multiple routes. They might work with the substance and come into contact with it that way, and then after their shift, they might go home and use consumer products containing the substance or eat food contaminated with the substance. If you're only looking at each exposure in isolation, you're going to miss the risk associated with them when combined. Biomonitoring is also good for studying trends over time and answering questions such as, is aggregate exposure falling following some kind of intervention? Therefore, you can easily imagine authorities using it to check whether regulatory risk management measures have been effective. What authorities don't want to see is it become a new barrier to regulation, some kind of hurdle that must be overcome before regulation can be implemented. Last year, we heard comments to that effect from a senior official at ECHA and Baz Eichelt, MEP, who's vice chair of the European Parliament's Committee on Environment, Public Health and Food Safety. Okay, thanks, Andrew. So what's next for the project? Publication of further HVMGVs is expected soon. Uh, in particular, selected phthalates, DINCH and uh, bisphenol A. But these are just the front runners. The project has gone through uh, two rounds of prioritization. Nine substances or substance groups were prioritized in each of those. I mean, there's currently 18 entries to work through. There's also ongoing work on a third round, which will provide a list of substances prioritized for biomonitoring research beyond the end of the project, which will be sometime this year. Okay, thanks again, Andrew. So let's turn now to the latest developments in Colombia regarding the establishment of a national chemicals management system, a requirement for Colombia as a member of the OECD. Now, last July, a draft chemicals management decree was published setting out plans for a national inventory of industrial chemicals and for subsequent stages of registration, prioritization, and risk reduction. Now, last autumn, 
we learned that the government had held a series of meetings with Colombia's National Association of Industries, also known as ANDI, which had raised a number of concerns from businesses with the proposal. So Ginger, can you remind us first of all, what were the main concerns of industry regarding the draft decree published uh, back in July? Hi Kate, sure. I'll highlight two big concerns that the Industry Association, Andy, had raised. Um, the first is about the registration stage of chemicals management. Now, everyone in Colombia agrees that they need to establish an inventory, which will just log basic information about all of the chemicals that are used in the country. But the government also plans to have a subsequent stage of information gathering, registration, where it would ask for a lot more detailed health and safety information about each chemical, sort of similar to a registration dossier under REACH. Now, industry doesn't want every chemical in the country to be subject to registration, which was a possibility under the previous draft decree from July. Instead, they want there to be some narrowed down list of priority chemicals for which that registration stage and all that additional information gathering is necessary. The second concern they highlighted is the age-old discussion between hazard-based and risk-based approaches to chemicals management. Industry, and Andy in Colombia specifically, have always advocated for a risk-based approach that doesn't just consider the inherent hazards of a substance, but also considers how people could be exposed to them when they're weighing their risks, risk assessment and risk management. In the July draft of Columbia's decree though, there were some provisions which were based entirely on a substance's inherent hazards. For all chemicals that fell under certain UN hazard classifications, such as category one or two, uh, carcinogenic, mutagenic or reprotoxic or CMR for short, uh, the Colombian government was going to require companies to put in place risk reduction and risk management programs for each chemical. And the companies were going to have to regularly report to the government on their progress. Now, industry didn't want that because they said these risk ma management measures shouldn't just be based on a substance's properties. Thanks, Ginger. So can you talk us through how the government in Colombia has scaled back certain provisions in the draft decree in response to those concerns? Sure, uh, it's quite simple. The government basically took industry's comments to heart and they've amended the draft bill to reflect them. The new bill, which was published uh, just a few weeks ago at the end of last year, it no longer has that provision about risk reduction programs for certain hazard classes. And the registration scheme will also now only be for a list of priority chemicals. Now, the criteria that will make a chemical on that priority list uh, and what information will then be required of them for registration, that all needs to be sorted out in future regulations. Uh, but for now, it seems that industry's comments have been taken on board. And the government even made some more minor adjustments in the text that industry had been calling for such as extending the implementation period for the inventory. Instead of giving companies one year to submit basic information about their substances to populate that inventory, uh, they will now have three years 
And keep in mind, the inventory is just the first basic step in the chemicals management system. So that's got to be done before any of these other management measures can really begin. So what's the next step? Well, Colombia has been trying to get a decree like this published for several years now, and industry opposition has been a big roadblock. So now that the industry's comments have been taken on board, uh, it should go to lawmakers and other officials for approval. Once the draft bill, whether there's any amendments or not, once it's officially passed, ministries will then have six months to develop and implement software for companies uh, so that they can submit their chemical information to so that they can submit their chemical information to the inventory. Once that software is up and running, uh, that three-year implementation period for the inventory will begin, and the government will also likely start drafting more regulations to flesh out the rest of its uh, system and the subsequent stages. So that would include the registration scheme, as well as risk assessment and management measures. So there's still a lot to come. Okay, thanks very much, Ginger. Now, it seems incredible to believe that after 11 months of talks in Brussels and London over the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement, which was finally signed on the 30th of December, that the chemical industry would find itself with yet more questions than answers in the document's 2,000 pages of text. But that is exactly what has happened, spurring the UK's Chemical Business Association last week to write to the UK's Environment Department, or DEFRA, seeking urgent clarification regarding two vital subjects included in the agreement's chemicals annex, confidential business information and data sharing. Now, in particular, the UK chemical industry trade bodies are concerned that despite the best efforts of industry to influence the course of the decision making with regards to chemicals management arrangements, the trade deal announced by the negotiators on the 24th of December could leave their members facing a one billion bill for registering substances in the UK REACH regime. So, Geraint, firstly, can you talk us through what exactly the chemical annex from the trade agreement says on these issues? Um, thanks, Kate. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so despite leaving the EU Single Market and Customs Union, uh, the, the, the UK government had hoped to persuade the European Commission and its negotiators to grant UK authorities access to the full substance data sets uh, held by ECA, the European Chemical Agency, including uh, the data owned by, um, provided by registrants and owned by registrants. Um, <clears throat> you know, such access it hoped would allow um, its own UK uh, database to be fully populated at virtually zero, well, at zero cost, really. Um, you know, so UK registrants wouldn't have to pay anything, and UK authorities would. Uh, get all the data they needed uh, to substantiate future regulatory decisions. Um, in, a, in a draft chemical annex published last May um, by the UK as part of a series of policy papers outlining its objectives for the deal, the UK said that parties would, this is what they hoped for, um, parties would agree to share data, risk assessments, scientific information, 
priority substance information and assessment methodologies where this is appropriate and necessary. But the final text, which came out on Christmas Eve, um, is very different. It includes no mention of ECHA or of sharing data, that precise terminology. Um, instead, it says parties um, commit to facilitating the exchange of non-confidential information, wording carefully chosen, between their responsible authorities, including through cooperation on electronic formats and tools used to store data. If, if UK registrants are not given access to this data, it seems likely that companies registering substances for the UK market will, after all, have to gain access through to that data through commercial negotiations with data holders, um, which could prove to be a very expensive business. OK, thanks, Geraint. So can you tell us more about industry's concerns and how the CBA is taking this up in its letter to DEFRA? Sure. So soon after the deal was published on Christmas Eve, um, shortly after Christmas Day, the, the CBA's CEO, uh, Peter Newport, wrote to Rebecca Powell, who is the UK government minister responsible for chemicals policy, um, you know, calling on the UK government to uh, issue guidance as soon as possible on what this text on information exchange actually means and warning that it's not an exaggeration to say the profitability and growth of the UK chemicals industry depends on what it calls an effective functioning and affordable regulatory framework and I'm struck by the word functioning in there because it's actually quite worrying that a trade association is effectively saying um, to the government that the regulatory framework the, the IT systems, the processes, the guidance is still incomplete when firms in the UK are now no longer following the EU's framework. So what are precisely, what are they supposed to do? What do they need to do on registrations and data provision and how should they go about doing that? So the CBI's main request is that the government and, and the European Commission, you know, the two sides to the trade agreement, um, spell out what is meant by non-confidential information. In other words, the information that UK and EU authorities will be permitted to exchange, what sort of information this might be and what use it could be put to. Um, the, the CBA is worried that, you know, it claims there is a widespread belief in UK industry that the reference in the final text to non-confidential information exchange uh, um, there's a widespread belief that this will somehow allow free access to testing data um, for firms having to produce UK registration dossiers. Um, so firms need a clear message as quickly as possible saying whether this assumption is right or if it's wrong. OK, thanks, Geraint. So what are the possible next steps then uh, for industry and DEFRA? Uh, well, get government ministers um, from, from several departments, probably not just DEFRA, um, and industry representatives will probably meet soon uh, to discuss these issues. Um, industry will seek clarification, um, as just mentioned, as well as cast iron confirmation that access to ECHA held data is not going to happen. 
it, it really wants it spelt out in black and white. If it gets this um, confirmation, we can expect some trade bodies to propose um, an alternative to them having to pay for access to all the data that's available. They might, for example, argue that only full data on those substances targeted for action should be required. Of course, NGOs will, will, will fight such an idea, arguing that this would be, would in effect create a sort of catch-22. How can a government decide if regulatory action is needed on a particular substance if it doesn't have the data to allow it to conduct a preliminary evaluation of any potential risks? Uh, but that doesn't mean that the UK government won't be tempted to uh, consider or pursue such a course. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. Okay, thanks very much. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to Andrew, Ginger and Geraint for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Chemical Watch Podcast.